And now, God, may the words which are spoken and heard and in our lives enacted be faithful and true and touched by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a reason landlords charge security deposits. And there's a reason why your RAs make you riff out at the end of every semester. It's because it's long understood that when people lease or stay in a property temporarily, they don't treat it quite as well as a place that they own or that they're responsible for the repairs themselves. And so your landlord usually asks you to give them some money up front just in case you damage the place. And so whether one of your roommates decides to hang a hammock in the suite room in a wall that doesn't quite bear the load, or whether one of your housemates gets frustrated at a party and punches through the wall, there are damages that will happen as a result of tenancy that don't likely happen in quite the same way when you are responsible for the place and it is your permanent dwelling. Now, how we treat a place depends a lot on whether we perceive ourselves as just kind of passing through or whether we're living there for the long haul. And that's the idea that's behind Jeremiah's letter to the exiles in Babylon. See, in the 6th century BC, the Babylonian Empire besieges the Judean capital of of Jerusalem. And they get the city to surrender, but after the surrender, they wind up taking the leadership, the, the king and his, uh, his family and all of the leadership, they take them into exile in Babylon. And to that group of exiles, Jeremiah writes this letter in which he says, the Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims to all the exiles I carried off to Jerusalem, build houses, and settle down, cultivate gardens, and eat what they produce. Get married and have children. Then help your sons find wives and your daughters find husbands so that they too may have children. Increase in number there so that you don't dwindle away. Promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord for it because your future depends on its welfare. So Jeremiah makes it clear to the exiles You may be in Babylon, you may be in exile, but make no mistake, for the foreseeable future, this is your home. This is where you live. Treat it like home. Build houses, settle down, plant your gardens, raise families. And in his last instructions, there's even an echo of the very first commandment God gives to the creation. Be fruitful and multiply. Keep doing that. Have children, grow, increase. And so the Jewish people are commanded to continue in the lives of faith they had known from the very beginning. They're supposed to live in Babylon the same lives of hope that they had lived while in the land. And then the final instruction really cements the whole thing. Promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for your future depends on its welfare. Promote the welfare of the city and pray to the Lord for it, for your future depends on its welfare. Now, this is more than just continuation of prior expectations. This is more than just the be fruitful and multiply command still is in effect. 
This is a declaration that they're not just simply located in a new place, but they are connected to that place. That the welfare of the city, the where they've been sent, is their welfare. Their future is connected with the place. They're a part of it. It's home for them. A few years later, when the kingdom of Judah rebels again against the Babylonian empire, and this time the Babylonians raise the city and destroy the temple and carry almost everyone from Jerusalem into exile, those words from Jeremiah would ring no less true. This is your home now. Live in it fully and seek its welfare. See, Jeremiah's letter is it's an important letter for us today because there are so many Christians who treat the world as if we were just passing through, who think of the world as kind of a temporary way station on our way somewhere else. It's a rental property, you know, the kind we can trash and not have to worry about it. And there's a sense among a number of Christians that as nice as the earth is, it's not really our home. I mean, consider the popularity of the hymn, I'll Fly Away, and I take my life in my hands by even criticizing this hymn. But the fact of the matter is that it talks about flying away to a home on some other celestial shore. That it speaks of this life as shadows and even uses the metaphor of a prison when we burst our bars and get out of this place. We even speak of dying elsewhere as going home. Celebrities, when they have funerals, are now called going home services and homecomings and things like that. And some Christians behave in ways that suggest that we're just renters and we're not really permanent residents here. In fact, we once had a Secretary of the Interior, I'm not making this up, you can look it up, who argued that there was little point to environmental protection laws since Jesus was coming back any day now and the whole thing was going to hell in a handbasket anyway. Party on. <laughs> In recent years, we've seen Christians talking about the rapture, which despite the fact that you can't really find it in the Bible, is, is an idea that emphasizes the escapism of Christian faith, that someday God will just rescue us out of here and just beam us up and we'll be safe. Encourages escapism from the world and looks towards some other plane of existence as where we really want to be. Now, I understand where escapism comes from. We all get that. But we see so many in the church focusing on Christian faith as something more about the next life than this life. So many talk about it as, as how we get into heaven, how we get into that next life, that it's a way to avoid damnation and hellfire. It's fire insurance, basically. And it becomes more focused on that next life, on life after death, on the spiritual realm, rather than on this life and on life before death and on this material world. It seems about somewhere other than where we are. And so much of that thinking takes away our focus on what's going on in the here and now. So much of that thinking takes away from the kinds of things that we're supposed to worry about. It encourages complacency and kind of almost an indifference to the world we live in by prioritizing the next. It's not our home. It's not where we're meant to be. We're just here for a little while. But whenever we see that attitude raised, we see a decline in social justice. We see a decline in serving the poor. We see 
a decline in stewardship of the creation. Precisely the things that the scripture calls us to do time and time again. Now, Christians will point to verses in the scriptures that speak of us as not of this world or as pilgrims in the world or not to put our minds on the things of this world. But these verses have largely been oriented toward the idea that we're not supposed to have our loyalty, our ultimate fidelity to things of this world. Meaning, we're supposed to have our loyalty to God first and then to king, country, money, power, status, all of that afterward. Our essential nature is still focused here. And you can see that is that even in the Bible, whenever Christians started paying more attention to the hereafter than the here and now, someone, usually Paul, would come along and correct them. Tell them you're getting ahead of yourselves, folks. You're not there yet. There's still a lot of work to be done in the here and now. That you've lost focus on the important work of the gospel. See, Christians are supposed to serve the world. The world that God so loves. The world that God created. The entire, in fact, for many of us, the world is not perceived as our home in that way. And it's not even a place that Christians are supposed to spend their energy. There was another Christian leader who even argued that to work for social justice was to prop up the kingdom of Satan since the world was not God's kingdom. That lay elsewhere. We're not from here. We're just passing through. See, but Jeremiah's letter teaches us otherwise. The Babylonian exile was a major catastrophe for the Jewish people. Their holy city, their temple, their line of kings descended from King David, their sacred spaces, their connection to the land promised to Abraham, all of that was in ruins. All of that was destroyed. In Psalm 137, we hear someone lamenting this new state of affairs describing how the Babylonian captors mocked them by saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Sing us a song about Jerusalem. Sort of dripping with bitter irony. As they languish by the rivers of Babylon, the psalmist laments, how could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Everything they knew had fallen to pieces. But they would sing that song. They would sing it because something remarkable happens. Scholars will point out that the Judaism that we know really comes to develop in that exile when the Jewish people realized that God was not limited to the land of Israel where they had been, but that God was still with them in the exile that they took this national God of the Jewish people and suddenly this God becomes a universal God, a God of the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, everyone, whether they knew it or not, their story was now bigger and God was bigger. God goes into the exile with the people. God's divine presence infuses the whole world, even Babylon, where they find themselves. And so what this means for us is that even if we were in exile, even if against all sense and reason we were not from this world, even if some other plane of existence were our home, it wouldn't matter because God is here. 
throughout the salvation history that we read in the scriptures, we get that point over and over and over again. God creates the world and calls it good. God strolls through the Garden of Eden in chapter 2 and 3. God comes to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre. God comes to the Jewish people in captivity. God appears to Moses in the burning bush. God leads the Israelite people in fire and cloud through the Exodus. God appears in frightening and terrifying and awesome vision in the temple to Isaiah. God goes with the people into exile in Babylon. God appears to the prophets and God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ to live among us. And at the end of it all, God promises that at the end, all this will be remade, all this will be renewed, and God will dwell with us in the new Jerusalem together. It's so abundantly clear. God cares about this place a lot. (laughs) God created the world. God dwells within the world. God is present in it and cares for this world, and so should we. And, what, and we do that the same way that the Jewish exiles were called to do. We live fully. We love fully. We prepare for a future. We seek to celebrate love and build a human community. We plant gardens. We seek the welfare of the place we are in. So the task of a Christian is unmistakable. We are to share with the world the love of God for the world. We can't be detached from it. We can't extract ourselves from the cares of the world or the needs of the world. In fact, meeting those needs and responding to those cares is at the heart of our task as Christians. Now there's one last thing about the letter of Jeremiah that needs to be looked at. At the end of the excerpt, it says, pray to the Lord for the city because your future depends on its welfare. The New Revised Standard Version says, for in its welfare you find your welfare. Those are solid translations. I'm not going to quibble with the translators of the New Revised Standard Version of the Common English Bible, except to say this, (laughs) is that the reality is that the original text says something more profound even than what that translation says. Because in the Hebrew, the text says, pray to the city, for in its shalom you find your shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word that means peace, but it's built on a root that means wholeness, completeness, soundness. So the lesson is clear. The wholeness of the place where we live is essential to our own wholeness. The well-being, the soundness of that place is essential to our well-being. We are not whole unless the places we live are whole. That means we can't withdraw from the world. We can't ignore its, key, its cares and its needs because we are inextricably linked with that world. The world is us. Now I understand why some would be so jaded We're disengaged with the world. Our politics is enough to encourage us to just opt out of the whole thing. But it's not a Christian option to do that. We can't not engage with the world. As much as we'd like to opt out and just stand in cynical judgment of the whole system, we can't. 
There are those times that we will feel like renters. We'll feel like strangers in a strange land, exiles in our own country. But it's where God is. And it is our home after all. And so we live fully. We love fully. We prepare for a future with hope. And we seek the wholeness of the place we live. Because in its wholeness, we find our own.